this, this evening. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through to 25 is going to be our text. They'll be on the screen behind me. So why don't we read it together? It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering tonight as your people, your called out ones, those who once were not a people have become a people, God's people. And I thank you, Father God, as I scan across this room this evening, I see the potential of headlines of broken and, 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 and marginalized and forgotten. But God, I thank you in your hands, you are shaping and molding our destinies, our futures into being a revival people. The people who will, who will be a miraculous people, who will call the things that are not as if they were. And I thank you, Father God, you'll bring them into being. I thank you, Father, for the supernatural power of that, that lives inside of us as a people, your church. And I thank you for what you're doing here tonight as you awaken us afresh. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, about over a decade ago, I had some well-meaning friends who, who conned me into a camping trip. I am not a camper. I am somebody who needs Factor 50 on the best of days. I would like a nice chalet with a nice clean linen. I would like uh, to have all the amenities there. I'd love to know if there's Wi-Fi available and DSV on tap. But when there's camping, I'm just a little bit I'm at sea. But these guys said, no, no, it'll be good for you. You'll love it. And we got there. We set up the camp, and all things were good uh, until all of a sudden it started to rain. It started to rain. And as the rain started to pour down on the Friday, I started to get a bit antsy. And I said, guys, what, what, what's, what's the situation here? They said, no, nah, it'll clear up by day two. Don't worry. Day two dawned and it was still raining. And now camping's not much fun anymore. All of a sudden, the, 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 the shoes are, are just moist and damp. The tent is muddy. You're just, it's, 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 the food is not looking good anymore. Just there's no ability to bry. Uh, playing touch rugby in the rain gets old after the first, uh, first couple of halves. And you're just like, I'm done with this. And by day three, we, we, we just called. So you guys, let's call it quits. So everyone else jumped in the showers. They got ready. They, un, they packed down, put it in the car. And I was the last one in the car. I was in my baggies still, a little bit wet, a little bit damp, a little bit disgruntled from the rain. But, so they put me on a towel in the boot of one of the vehicles leaving. As we were leaving, there was this river that was by, next to our campsite. And this river that was just a, a small meandering stream because of the downpour had become a, a, a raging torrent. Just it was the full force of water just going down, gushing past us. And I remember as we were driving out, a, a mother met us from another campsite, met us on the road, waved us down in dramatic fashion and said, please come, my little one has, has gone, ventured out into the, the water that a few days ago was able to be swimming in. He's gone out for a swim, but he's got stuck on a rock and the, the, the tide, the, 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 the deluge is pulling him down the, the river. And I, I need someone to help me go save my child's life. I don't want to be dramatic here, people, but this was life or death. And everyone looks around at their freshly washed clothes, they've gelled their hair, and they looked and they said, Gabe, you're the only one wearing baggies. You're on. I said, here I am. Send me, Lord. <laughs> My moment had come. And I got out the car, 
I went down there, and everyone, the, the throng of people and some people from other campsites came to watch the scene as a little boy held on for dear life on a rock in the middle of a river. And I remember putting that first nervous foot in and all 60-something kgs of me started going, oh, this is the moment you've been waiting for, Gabe. And I could feel the weight of the water as I started to wade through this water to this boy. I could feel everything going one loose step, and I am in, this is, this is going to end up on social media. This is, I'm just going to be washed away in my, in my dramatic attempt to save someone's life. So I remember being very deliberate and careful as I pulled my way through this water to get to this child on the rock. And then when I got to that guy on the rock, I knew this is, the, this is make or break because he grabbed my neck and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, we're both going. And I had to steady myself and we pulled our way across and I got to the other end and my friends pulled us both out and the mother was weeping. This cold play started to play in the background, tears streaming. There was fireworks in the sky. Gabe, you're a firework. It was just amazing and people were slow clapping and I was just wiping tears away, high-fiving. The, the mother said, I want to rename him after you. No, none of that happened, but there was a sense of achievement. And I tell you that story tonight, firstly to let you know, I am some kind of hero at a place called Glengarry in Durban. Yep, photos on the wall. But secondly, I told you that because actually as I, I was recalling and reading this passage this week, I, I, I can still feel that, 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 that tension of that moment, that pull of that water that was pulling me down, downstream and that, the fight that I had to endure to make sure I got across to that boy in the middle of the rock and all the way back with every step feeling the pull of the water. I tell you that story because I really believe we're living in a day and age where there's a, a great sense, a pull, a tidal pull away from the purposes of God away from what God's plans have, are. And like never before in this, in this time that we're living, this, this age, this epoch, as Dave Reed likes to use these big fancy words, this, this setting that we find ourselves in, I'm telling you, there's, it just feels like everything is pulling us away from what God has for us, and it does feel like there's a bit of a push in, in me to get to where God is calling us to be. And this is not just for us. This is a biblical narrative that plays itself out again and again. This context of the book of Hebrews, the writer is writing to a people who used to live in Jerusalem, who have migrated into Europe, and some people will surmise into areas as far-flung as Rome itself, which was the thriving metropolis of the day. And they are, they're people who were uh, worshippers, uh, Juda, Juda, uh, Juda, Judaizers of the Jew, Jewish faith. That's what I was going for. There we That's the word, yeah. The Jewish, Jewish is the word they're using these days. They're Jewish, but they've also embraced Christ and they're walking a different path. And, and it's, but they, the writer's writing to him because he's saying he's realizing that because they're far away from home, that they are the, they're under the, 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 the pull, the pressure of being seduced by the pleasures and also the pressures of Rome. And there's this, almost this, this pull against their souls, their hearts, to go back to the Jewish faith, to leave Christ, because actually in this era, under the, 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 the man Nero, who was presiding over Rome, he was, he was persecuting the church, he was persecuting people who claimed Christ. There was all this, this incredible pull. Are you able to turn my, my volume down a little bit? It is quite loud. Sorry, I'm putting it further and further away. And the, the, the reality was, there was all this temptation to give up on Jesus, because it was just too much work. It was too much. You were losing your homes because of, if you, it was illegal to be a Christ follower in that day and age. Actually, just go back to the Jewish faith or actually just take off the uniform and mingle with the crowd altogether. It felt like there was this incredible tidal pull away from what God had for these people. But the writer's writing to them to tell them, resist the temptation to drift. With everything inside of you, resist that temptation just to go along with the flow. And I want to say to you tonight, maybe your life Maybe your marriage, maybe your relationships, maybe your purpose, maybe your heart is just drifting. Then this sermon is for you. 
Now, maybe sitting here and you're going, well, that's not me. Then I want to tell you, it's definitely for you. Why? Because no, uh, no marriage just crashes overnight. No addiction just leaps out out of nowhere and goes, surprise! Every parent tells me that the years just drift flash by, flash by, and how did we get here? And I want to tell you, nobody wakes up in the morning and announces, I'm going to train wreck my life today. What a perfect condition for that. No, it's always a drift to chaos, a drift to, discussion, to destruction. So I want to tell you today, the title of my sermon is a prophetic declaration to my own heart and yours in this season, is this, resist the drift. Resist the drift. So why don't you turn to three people around you, and with everything inside you, tell them, resist the drift. Come on, resist the drift. So from this text, three things. Three things that this text helps us to resist the drift. Number one, it says, let us draw near to God. The apostle is writing this, and he's, he's saying this because he knows that our hearts have the propensity to drift. It is the very essence of DNA of our hearts, and, and I know this full well because when I rewind a, a couple of decades to the year grade seven, when I, I was, my prayer life was, was, the whole load of my prayer life was basically surmised in this one prayer. God, may that one pretty girl fall in love with me. That was my prayer life. I was deep, people, deep, spiritually deep. I said, God, uh, if that girl falls in love with me, I will go to Mongolia for you. I, I will be a martyr for you, Jesus. Just please, if she can just look at me with some love in her eyes, and I pray that, and I pray that prayer, and that was the extent of my faith. Now, I know how my heart drifts because a decade on, I remember when I, after a decade of not seeing her and I came face to face with her, I remember saying, saying thank God for unanswered prayer. Let me tell you why, what I'm meaning by that, is that the things that once captivated our hearts very quickly no longer do. And it actually, it, it happens on a weekly basis with trivial things. We are people that drift from one passion to the next very quickly. But I wanted to ask you this question tonight with such courage, what are you drawing near to? Your heart is drawing near to something. Are you drawing near to your guilt? Drawing near to your anxiety, to your worry? to your fear, to your sin. You see, the writer of Hebrews says this because it is not the status quo of our hearts to draw near to God. He is putting something, he's saying, let us draw near to God because he's saying there is some sort of resistance against that fact. And we have to understand that reality, you see, because we draw near to many other illicit lovers on a daily basis. A great story that illustrates this best is uh, that I share a bed with the most beautiful woman in the world, Fiona Phillips, my wife. And, uh, and this incredible lady, she is a, a lady that loves me, and she, uh, she loves quality time, she loves acts of service, but my, my, my primary love language is physical touch. Second on that is more physical touch, and third is, please don't stop touching me, Fiona. That's, that's me in a nutshell, <laughs> just being, being honest. But, but often it's not really, she's not, she's not a touchy-feely person, but at night when she gets in bed, she's like, there's, she wants me on her side of the bed, she wants, she, she's like, Big spoon, little spoon, she doesn't care. She wants cuddles, people. She's like, I'm, I'm all in. And then I get in there with Fiona, the most beautiful girl in the world, uh, somebody who loves me. She is the answer to prayer that I've been praying for years and didn't even know she was the one I was praying for. And this incredible, beautiful girl who smells so good, and I get in the bed, and I get next to her, and I cuddle her, and then do you know what happens? Ping! My phone lights up. And whether it's a notification, an app, a reminder, a message from somebody, it's almost as if it's a magnetic pull. My hand just goes there without even thinking. 
until Fiona says, what are you doing? Nothing, love. Because there's something inside of my heart that is drawn to these illicit lovers, these, this, other, this other voice that calls me. It's like this drift away. No matter how good this is, it feels like as soon as I hear, ping, I'm like, yeah, what's that? We all know it. We're all addicted to it. You hear it in your phone. You feel it vibrate. Like, wonder who's messaging me. I'm, I'm very important. I must, someone must get a hold of me. And I, I read that when I think about it, I realize that that's what we do all the time with God. No matter how good we have moments with God, we hear, ping. The enemy puts us a reminder, and our, our whole being just drifts away in seconds. And that's the narrative that we find in the story called The Prodigal Son that Jesus tells this parable. It's this profound parable about uh, uh, the, the first half of it is a young boy, a son uh, with a dad, and he says, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. He takes his inheritance. He goes to a far country, and he spends that inheritance in a matter of, of moments, just blows it on, on, on illicit living. And he comes to his senses when he has nothing left. And he has this narrative in his head saying, let me go back to my father. Let me go back to him. And maybe I can be a servant in his home. Now, this narrative that you might be, may be familiar with finds itself its culmination in a point Jesus is telling the story saying, while he was a long way off coming home, nervously drawing back to his father. It says his father saw him and his father started to sprint towards him. He sprinted towards him and gave him an incredible embrace and dressed him in a robe, put a ring on his finger, shoes, and redeemed him back to the family. But what I've learned recently that, that actually in that culture, the father wasn't just running to the son because he loved his son exuberantly. His, the father was running because he was trying to beat other people there. What I mean by that, there was a, in the culture, there's this, there's this ceremony called keza. Keza, in the Jewish tradition, if somebody left their, 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 disregarded their inheritance and went off to a far, a far place and lived among Gentiles and lived as if their father was dead and lived in a rebellious fashion like the son did, when he arrived at the city gates, the city elders would meet him there before he could get to his family and say, listen, you've brought your family into disrepute. There's no way back here. We're not going to come trade on emotions. You're out. And they would take a pot and smash it on the floor and say, that is what you've done with your family line. You're out. In this story, the father says, I've got to get to my boy before the elders get there. I've got to get there before the Keza situation happens. I'm going to run so that he knows he's loved, but I'm going to get there before that moment happens. Why is that key for us in this moment? Well, I want to tell you that I really heard this phrase years ago. Years ago, somebody said it and it's haunted me. Somebody once said, it's, it's easy to come back to God, but it's very hard to come back to church because it feels like I'm faced with that situation, the people saying, you've messed up too far. And, and I, it haunts me because I tell you, I dream. I dream of a church where the prodigals will flock and feel this is home. I've, I've sinned so bad. I've messed up so bad. But this is a place that I can draw back to God again and again. And the people of God are waiting with open arms to restore and welcome home. That's the dream in my heart. And I, I ask you this question tonight. What do you do when you mess up? What's the status quo of your heart? What do you do when you fall short? What do you do when you blow it? Too many people, myself included, when I mess up, I take a step back from God and I allow space until I've got my life under control and then I'll move towards God. I take a step back from people. A lot of people take a step away from church and I haven't been there for a while because you know, I've just had a bit of chaos going on. I'm trying to bring some order to my life. So I'm gonna step away from what God's doing. When the writer's saying, no, no, there's a pull that's away. There's a drift away from that. You gotta let us draw near to God. It's like the logic that people say, you know, I'm just getting my life together, then I'll be back at church and I'll be full on in there. And I understand the logic, but it's the enemy at play in our minds. It's like saying, I'm so sick, but I'll wait till I get better, then I'll go to the doctor. 
You know, I'm in such financial chaos and, and I'm, I'm up to my ears with, with people coming and wanting money and demands and summons. You know, but when I get that ordered, then I'll go see the lawyer. No, no. When you're in trouble, run to the source of grace. When you've fallen short, run to the one who takes you back every time. This is the very essence of the gospel is this. Draw near to me, God says. And he says, I will draw near to you. Let us draw near to God. So I say to you today, resist the drift. Secondly, other text that says, let us hold firm without drifting, without swerving, without wavering. Let us hold firm to the hope we profess. He's saying this, why? Not because only our hearts drift. He knows that our hopes drift too. Our hopes drift. And I ask you this question tonight. There's a lot of rhetorical questions being asked here. But I ask you, what are you holding firm to? What are you holding firm to? The thing that you wake up reminding yourself about, the thing that you are holding on to, are you holding firm to offense, to unforgiveness, to disappointment, to man's opinions of you? You see, we are people who are quick to pick up offense. It's just the very essence of our, of, of, of our nature. It's the drift of our hearts to pick up offense. There was an illustration I saw years ago that has stuck with me, and I wish I had the ability to do it here tonight, but just for space-wise, it won't work. But if you can imagine a rope coming from here all the way through to the back of this hall. And I remember the moments came, they said, the guy called up and said, I need a volunteer. And the, and the skinniest loudmouth got up and said, hey, that's me. I'll come and be the volunteer. He says, cool, you're on this end. And the guy grabbed the rope like this and said, we're going to play some tug of war. He's like, yeah, cool. He says, but I didn't mention the team that was going to be against you. And he called there and said, I would like the, the team that asked to be the opposing force on this, on the other side of the rope. And the three heavyweight champions of the world, what it looked like, step up. These three guys who had muscles upon muscles come and they take on the other side and they're pulling up their biceps and just, they, they, that's what they're doing. They're just pushing the bicep up and just revealing more biceps. And it's terrifying. It's like ex-contestants ex from the game show Gladiators. They're all coming up and lining up there and the skinny loudmouth is no loudmouth no longer. Just hold up there, buddy. Just hold up. If you're going to be loud, just quiet down. So this is, the, this is the story. Those three guys, they stood there and this, this young guy, now all of a sudden there and the guy, the guy who's preaching says, okay, on your marks, get it, Go. And you know the end of the story. It's not going to last long. There's three guys at the back just rip one pull, and this guy is flying through the church all the way to the back. Carpets, uh, uh, grazes, he's just looking. He's looking at a fool. And then the preacher gets up, and gets up and says, let me tell you, that's an illustration of something powerful, is this a sense of when you pick up offense on this side, when you pick up unforgiveness, when you replay that narrative in your head and you just, you just ref, you're getting so worked up and bitter and, and frustrated about that story, he says, you don't know what's on the other side of that rope. You don't know the enemy's power on the other side of that rope. You think it just looks like a little something you can pick up for a while, but the enemy has just been waiting for it. It's the drift of a heart waiting to rip you down out of, out of community, out of fellowship, out of relationship, out of the presence of God. And so many people are bitter and offended and they're, and they're looking so far away from God and you say, how did you get there? How did you drift so far? And, and they, they can't even give, you know, this one guy said that. And you hear their story, you're like, really, that's it? But for them, it's so huge because they don't know on the other side, there were other people. There was other forces pulling them out. What are you holding onto? So today, I want to suggest to you and I, the scripture reminds us, we must choose to hold onto hope. Hold on to hope, it says. The Bible says living hope. This Hebrews writer says it's a, hope is an anchor for our souls. You see, hope is something that, that, that does not just float on the circumstances and situations of our lives. Too often, that's what I feel like hope is. 
if I'm being honest. The last few years, it feels like things are going well. I'm hopeful, and then it's another lockdown. Now I'm depressed, and it just feels like this is the life. Relationships going well, this thing happened. Business deal, this thing happened, up and down. But the writer says, no, hope is an anchor for our soul. It goes beyond, beneath the waves of your circumstance, beneath the waves of your situation. It plunges into something deep and is held by the very character of our God, His faithfulness. Hold on to hope. And if you want to know what hope is, it's the unreasonable belief of the best. It's the unreasonable belief of the best. And too often we have the reasonable belief of the worst. I meet people and I'm skeptical. I'm like, hello, and they start telling me what they do. I'm going, just give me, how long is it till you introduce me to a pyramid scheme and try and get me in? I'm just like, well, what's going on here? And, and we, we've got that. We've almost got that disposition of our hearts to expect the worst in people and the worst in situations, the worst of South Africa, the worst of what the government, what's going to come next? But actually, our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in God anchored to Him. We start to have a different disposition. We pick up hope. And I, I, I've got this, this prayer in my heart saying that actually I'm going to choose to pick up and hold on to hope so much that when the chance for offense comes and bitterness and unforgiveness comes, I go, sorry, my hands are just too full of hope to pick up on those. I'm not gonna, I, don't, I don't have the ability to pick up those because I'm so, my hands are full of hope. And I want to tell you this, that hope doesn't look like much this side, but it's the guarantee of his faithfulness on the other side. If you choose to pick up hope, I tell you, on the other side of that rope is the faithfulness of God that will pull you into his presence, will pull you into his more, will pull you into his grace. And you're going, how am I being able to forgive people? How am I being able to stay free in this time? How am I able to do it? Because I'm holding on to hope. Let us hold on to hope without swerving, without drifting. Resist the drift. Thirdly and finally tonight, it says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to hope without drifting, without swerving. Thirdly, it says, let us spur one another on. Now, this is not a shout-out to the Tottenham Hotspur fans. None of them. All right, let's move on. Good. The Scripture says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some on the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the writer is saying this because he knows that once our hearts and our hopes drift, our habits quickly follow too. The habits of our hearts and our hopes will slowly drift very quickly. You see, we know this, that we are a people in our world today and in the very recesses of our own heart, we are a me, me, me focused people. It's all about me, you know? We are all about self-preservation. If you don't believe me, just go watch any horror movie. They start off all together, and all of a while they go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to split up. You know, that token redhead guy is going to be dead in seconds. Just don't split up, people. Like, no. But every horror movie, it's like, oh, sorry, this is my own gripe here. I'm like, it's just the, this is the trope they ring out every week, week on week, you know, in the horror stories. But actually, it's, it's just this truth in it that we do it again and again. We know that being isolated, being alone is not good for us. And yet, we, it's, the, it's the drift of our hearts to pull away from one another. Do you look after me? John Calvin, a great Puritan preacher, once said this. He said, I look with, when I look within, I get very, very sick. And I think that's the very truth. We are sold a therapeutic gospel. It says, no, just look inside and find the goodness inside of you. But actually the gospel says, no, don't look inside. Look out. Look away from yourself. Look, look to a God who is above you and far away from you. A God who is calling you to upwards and not, not just coming inward looking and, and introspective. No, no, look away from yourself. This is the call of the gospel because... I want to tell you, if you are not aware, it's never been more rife than these last two years. This is the pull of humanity right now. Individualism, do-it-yourself adventures, this is it. 
You, 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 you are, the, you are the custodian of your soul. You've got to set it up and do it your way. But this is the reality, even so much so, that we've preached this doctrine, and it's true to an extent. It's true, but it's not the full picture of the omnipresent reality of God. What I mean by that, when someone says God is omnipresent, means God is everywhere. He is everywhere. There's no way you can hide from him. You can't go to the heights. You can't go to the depths. He is there. And that's true, and that's wonderful, but I think the problem with that is that then we have devalued the sense of our gathering, because you see this understanding of this. People say things, you know, I, I can meet God anywhere, and yes, that is true, but when we read Scripture, we realize that the God who is everywhere chooses to be somewhere, and He chooses to be with His people. Scripture says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. He says that I inhabit the praises of my people. He's, this is what God says. He says, as you worship, I build my throne. This is the powerful understanding of God who is everywhere, but he chooses to be somewhere, and he manifests himself when believers gather in the context of local church. This is so massive, and then this is the drama I've got to beat for my own heart, because let me tell you right now, as we look around the world, the church and persecuted countries aren't being persecuted for their private, individual faith. No, they're being persecuted for their public corporate gatherings that are declaring Christ. That's why they're being persecuted. Not because, hey, I've got my own private faith. That's wonderful. Have your private faith. But it's actually got to find expression in a corporate gathering, according to the Scripture, according to the Scriptures in general. You see, so often we say things like, I just need some time on my own, and we want to be isolated, and then I'll be okay. But actually, if you asked a, a person, the, the persecuted church right now, you, they would tell you, actually, no, we are going to, even though people threaten to kill us, take our property, if we don't stop worshiping Jesus, we're still going to do it. Why? Because they said, no, it's actually not, they're not the people that hold our future. We know that our isolation is not good for us. We were told together, it's good for us as the people of God. And let me tell you, there is a day coming, I'm telling you, you don't have to be too far-fetched and conspiracy theory to believe it, but there is a day coming when even this gathering will be looked upon with more scorn than it is already now. And people will start to shun away more and more the gathering of the saints in church community. But let me suggest to you that actually maybe we are in more danger here now because we have bought into a weak ecclesiology that says it's not that important to gather regularly for church because we've got the option. Maybe we're in more danger now. You see, the scripture says this, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That is not saying, I'm weeping with you at a distance, my brother, sending love and hugs. No, it's that word with is an embodiment in the present reality. I'm weeping with you. That's what the scriptures call, I'm rejoicing with you. That's what the scriptures call us to. That's called Christianity 101. The scripture says this, encourage and meet together regularly. And this is my, my encouragement to us tonight, that the goal of gathering, the goal of what we do here, isn't primarily to get something, it's to give something. That actually, this is the reality, I think a lot of us maybe are a bit like ho-hum with church, and maybe we're a bit bored because we are just, we've been sold the lie that we call to be glorified spectators, when we've actually been called to be participators. You see that word when we say spur one another on, that word spur in the Greek basically means jab in the side. I like that. So if somebody's falling asleep next to you right now, you can say, I'm spurring you on. Give them a good, just, just acting out the word. But that's what it is. It's to awaken, to call, to say, resist the drift. Spur one another on. And you see, that's the power of our worship. The power of our worship is not, hey, they chose great songs. Those are beautiful songs. Oh, I wish they hadn't done that song. Oh, a little bit awkward. 
No, the power of our worship is us together worshiping God. Us worshiping together. Your row needs your worship. Maybe your voice isn't as, 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 as good as some of the others around you. Who cares? They need your out-of-tune voice with faith. Somebody next to you needs to learn how to worship, needs to know how to hold on to hope when everything is crumbling. They look at you and they say, but you don't have it all together, but you're still choosing to worship. I need that. That's what we need to do. Let me tell you, the sermon is not about one individual jumping around doing the monkey dance. No, no. The sermon is us preaching the word together. That's why I'll say, say to your neighbor, trying, not as some gimmick, but trying to remind us that we are people who are amening. We're people taking notes. We're leaning in saying, God, I want to receive this not just for myself, but for each other. Maybe your row needs your amen. Amen. Oh, come on. There we go. You need that. We need that encouragement. But actually, in all of that, I want to tell you that the most important part of our gatherings actually is our response. It's our response what we do with the worship, what we do with the sermon. But more importantly, I, I, I look forward to the day when I dream of a church where we all come to give something. You're coming to church ready to come and prophesy over somebody, come to give an encouragement to somebody, come to serve somebody, come to pray for the sick, going, where's the sick people? Let me pray for them. Uh, it's, you're looking for somebody saying, I've got extra, I'm gonna bring extra cash in my wallet so I can bless somebody. And you're looking out for somebody who you may spur on and encourage so they don't get caught in the drift, that you can rescue them and pull them along back to the purposes of God. That's the church I wanna be a part of. A church where the people of God are longing for the, the preacher just to shut up, not because then they can jump in their cars and go home and catch the, the 7 o'clock carte blanche, <laughs> but so that they can say, stop preaching so we can start praying for people and ministering and having a coffee outside and connecting with somebody who's lonely and needs a family, and the church are ready to go and respond to the word that's been preached. That, that for me starts to get exciting, what church is called to be when we unleash the gifts, unleash the church. When everybody brings something, nobody will lack anything. When everybody brings something, nobody will lack anything. That's the church I dream of. If we had time, I would get all of you right now to come stand up here on the stage. We'll actually take this down. We'll go into the glorified pulpit up there. Oh, it's a great view from up there. But we'll all go. I'd love to take us all up there. And we all stand there and look out over this congregation and go, actually, just to remind us that we are not the congregation. The empty pews are the congregation. The people who are yet to come home, the prodigals who are far from God and needing a community who will restore them, that actually that's the congregation. You are, we are the team. We are the people that God's put here in the city to be a church that's welcoming them, not smashing pots and saying, you're out, but saying, welcome home, welcome home. Here's a drift, pulling them into the grace of God. That's what I would love us to do. And you see, as this, you might say, Gabe, you're very passionate about this. Well, as I read the text, that writer is very passionate he says, do this, there's urgency, he says, because the day of God's return is coming closer. This is not something passive to put on this back burner. Now I want to tell you today, you're going out this week, Monday, into the, the drift, the potential drift of the pull of the tide of pressures and pleasures. They'll pull you away from God. And that's why the writer's saying, let us draw near. Let us hold on to hope. Let us spur one another on. Resist the drift. But I love how he says it. He doesn't say, you must do this and you must do this. He says, let us, even in your drawing near to God, it's a corporate expression he's inviting you to. Why we've been sold such an individualistic faith when actually according to scripture, God loves you, yes, as an individual, but he is preparing for himself a bride, a one people. He says that you are a royal nation, a holy people, a, 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 a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people belonging to God. And I've really struggled, but I'm really not good at being a holy nation on my own. 
It's actually impossible. God is forming for him a people. That is the narrative of scripture. But as we land tonight, and we're going to pray together, I want to tell you today that the let us's, the let us draw near, let us hold on to hope, let us spur one another on, they find their courage, they find their power in the first two verses of that whole passage we read, which has two we haves. There's three let us's, but when you started, there's two we haves. And the writer says, we have a great sacrifice in Jesus' blood. We have a great high priest in Jesus' name. And this is the understanding for us as we land as these Jewish believers, with this context, they would have understood what he was talking about because he, he was describing to him the tabernacle, a, a place that they would have built to engage with God, a place where they would have gone to meet with God. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel would all stand outside looking in. And one man, the high priest, would have the onerous task of going in. And he would take the sacrifice and he would walk in and he would go through into the outer courts and he would slaughter the animals, sprinkle the blood, wash his hands, then go through the next curtain into the holy place and he would go into the next one, into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And as he would go in there, he would start trembling because actually there was a rope tied around his leg and there was a rope from his ankle all the way out to the people outside who were holding it with a bell in it because actually if you as a high priest went in with a little bit of sin, a little bit of guilt still left on you, the presence of God was so thick that they would drop down dead. So there was no confidence of this high priest. He was not moonwalking his way in there. He was nervous and, and very stressed and anxious. So much so that they had the rope there because as they would fall down, no one else is going in to get that guy. So they have the rope there to drag him out. And if you can understand what I'm going with here, that there's a rope on that one man going in on their behalf, trying to draw near to God, but with no confidence, holding on to hope, but so nervous. A man who's trying to, but on his own going on this journey, and there's a people outside ready to pull him out as a dead man. But this, this story tells us, this writer says, but actually in Jesus, Jesus is a different story. On the cross, when he died, in that moment, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and the high priest. In that moment, he was reenacting the shadow and type in, on earth as in heaven. And in heaven, he was putting an end to these rituals that would separate God from man. And as he walked in, Jesus walked into the great tabernacle that day as a sacrifice and the high priest. As, he, as his blood was spilt, he pulled every curtain aside, ripping it from top to bottom, going in all the way into the most holy place. And this time, I tell you, in my, my mind's eye, there's a rope tied to him. But this time, it's not the people pulling him out. It's him pulling the people in because there's a grace that's being unleashed. Let me tell you tonight that to resist the drift, we have to embrace the tidal wave of his grace because the drift is strong. The pull away from God is strong, but I tell you his grace is stronger. And if we receive it tonight, you lay a hold of that tonight. You pick up on that instead of letting go of your guilt, your shame, your anxiety, your fear, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, your worries, your anxiety, and say, I'm going to pick up trembling. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, on the other side of that rope is a high priest and a sacrifice saying, it's enough. It's enough. I'm going to pull you in. Despite your addiction, I'm going to pull you in into the very presence of God. Why don't we stand to our feet tonight? Maybe you're here tonight, and you feel like you've drifted. You've drifted far from God. You've drifted away from His purposes, His plans. You've given yourself over to your, your flesh. You've given yourself over to your addictions, to your guilt, to your unforgiveness. You've drifted away. But tonight, I want to tell you, it's not a long way home. There's no one waiting at the gate to throw a pot down. There's a Father who's running back to you, and He's wanting to redeem you. Today, I want to say it's time to come home, it's time to jump into the tide of his grace. To resist the drift, you have to get in the tide of his grace. A grace that pulls you into his family. A grace that pulls you into his future. So 
with us, with every head bowed, why don't we lift our hands to him tonight? As a people, not one of us exempt from the drift away from the purposes of God. There's a drift, a pull on your soul. But tonight, as we lift our hands, we are saying, we need the grace of Jesus to flow, to resist the drift. Draw near to God. Right now, draw near to Him. The voice of the enemy is saying, no, no, draw near to your shame. Draw near to your guilt. But I tell you, the voice of grace is, no, draw near to me with boldness and confidence right now. Now my anxiety is, is, is driving me through. No, right now, draw near to God. Right now, let us hold on to hope. Let go of unforgiveness. Yeah, but you don't know what they did. To, just let go of it and pick up hope. Right now, let us choose to spur one another on. Right now, God is saying, I've knit you into a family. You're not alone. I'm shaping you. I'm fashioning you into a people that will be a reflection of my glory. I thank you right now. As hands are lifted, as hearts are lifted, as hopes are lifted, as habits are lifted back to you, Father God, I thank you that the drift that was pulling us away is being reversed because there's the tidal wave of his grace that's saying, I'm pulling you back to me. I thank you. You're shaping us as a community tonight. You're doing something profound in us. And I thank you, Father. We lay a hold of your grace right now. Thank you, Jesus.